Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. Today on Obsessed with Design, if you follow him on Twitter, you probably know him as Vonster. Today we'll catch up with the one and only Von Glitschka. Von is the owner of Glitschka Studios, a boutique graphic design firm based in the Pacific Northwest. Von is a great illustrator and logo designer and has had a slew of impressive clients from Adobe to Nike and everyone in between. And of course, he's a popular guest at many conferences. We'll talk with him about inspiration, process, publishing, and teaching courses online. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. And while you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed Show. We'd love to have a rating from you and help other people find the show. So without further ado, please welcome Von Glitschka. Von, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How was your day? It's it's going pretty good. It's we're in the cold season. I'm refuse to wear pants until it gets so cold I can't. So I'm wearing that sounds like I'm not wearing anything now. I meant I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to get started. Yeah, I've always found go. that the people of the Pacific Northwest have just simply lost the the will to be dry. Yeah, that pretty much nobody, but I don't know anybody that buys an umbrella other than my wife. She just, <laughs> she likes having an umbrella. I just run fast. So, so for uh, all of our listeners, tell them a little bit about who Von Glitchka is and what your, uh, what your day looks like usually. I, I, when people ask me that, I usually explain it that I'm a creative hired gun for, other design firms and ad agencies. So at any time I'm working on a range of projects from logo design or iconography. Um, usually they're within the context of some kind of branding. So I like the diversity and it's always changing. I have certain clients I work with a lot, but it's fun because I get to help out a lot of startups and you know, people who are who are really excited about getting their idea launched and carry forward their business. So helping them facilitate that is what I probably enjoy the most. You know, Bill Bill Gardner, who runs uh, LogoLounge.com, he had a, a cool saying he told me years ago when I interviewed him, and it's that his design team will they learn a new industry every 30 days. So whatever project they're working on, the research they do to really understand it so that they can brand it appropriately, um, you know, means that they get to learn all these new insights they didn't know previously. And that's the part about branding that, you know, I really enjoy is the research part helps me come up with ideas, but it's fun to learn certain things I never knew before. It also makes you a killer, uh, trivial pursuit player. <laughs> yeah, it does help in that <laughs> as well. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the design world or, um, you know, I know you have a passion for drawing. I'm just kind of curious how you found this thing called design. Well, um, originally when I was in high school and it was around the end of my junior year going into my senior year, 
they assigned us a career counselor and I was interested. I had a class I was taking. Um, actually, I had gotten all my requireds out of the way. So my senior senior year would be like wide open. I could take whatever I'd want. And so I filled it up with all these art classes and I got called into the vice principal's office and uh, she didn't like the fact half of the year was just art classes for me. <laughs> and she took away one of the art classes and forced me to uh, take a class um, on writing. Like, uh, and I was like, going, what? Why? That, it bugged me. But it ended up being one of my favorite classes. And um, I would, we, we'd have to write stories, basically. So I started writing stories. And growing up, me and a friend always used to make movies with his parents' Super 8 camera. And we'd write scripts and make props and then shoot these stupid little movies. And they're fun. You know, pay, we even paid his brother like $5 to be a stuntman for us. And so he'd ride his bike over a jump into like a fir tree just so he could film it. <laughs> it. It really had nothing to do with the narrative we were saying. It was just a cool stunt that he was dumb enough to do for five bucks. Um, but all that said, it made me, when I set, started going to this career counselor and they asked, well, what do you want to do? I originally said, well, I'd like to get in the movie industry. And um, she started, she is supposed to research it for us and then come back with all these choices where we could pursue or go for more information. Uh, mind you, this is before the internet, um, anything like that. And she came back like two weeks later and she said, well, I couldn't find anything. <laughs> and it's like i'm in a small town you know i guess i could have gone to the library and but i figured well i don't know what to do now i know i didn't want to go to regular college because it, i knew i liked art and so is that next week somebody uh from what was the burnley school of art in seattle came by our class and showed us the student portfolio and i go that's what i want to do that looks like that looks like fun and so I went up to that school and took a tour around and ended up going there. By the time I attended, um, they had sold out to the art institutes. And so oh, yeah. over, over the two years that I went there, they kind of transitioned over to that. But it was fun. It was like an art school that I went to for two years, but they had an agreement with the local college. So I actually lived in the dorms and went to art school. And um that's kind of where I got my education from, but I would say I learned more in my first five years of working than I did at art school. So <laughs> I'm sure. So what is, what is working look like for you now? I've heard you talk a lot about your, your setup and how meticulously your kind of your workstation is, but what is a, what is a normal day or a normal week look like? How often are you at the computer making versus how often are you writing and what is kind of your, your workload look like? The writing, the, the content I developed for Linda kind of goes in spurts. It's like every three months or so I'll work on a course and I'll usually spend about three weeks really hammering that out and writing the scripts and figuring out all the design and artwork and files I have to do. But on a given day when I'm working on client work, um, 
it, it usually goes in, it's pretty systematic regardless of what project it is, whether it's a logo, an illustration, icons or whatever. I kind of go through the same phases. And the first phase is like if a client approves a budget I give them or a quote, I know in their mind as soon as that's approved and they put it down, a deposit down, let's say, in their mind they're thinking, okay, it's started. Um, well, yeah, it has in a theoretical sense and that I'm starting to think about it, but I can't physically start on anything until it just has to gestate and I have to let the thoughts process and I kind of call it slow boiling. And then once I get to a point where ideas start to gel, that's when I'll start thumbnailing out ideas and sketching and uh, working directions out and then once i feel i have more than what i need then that's when i'll start working on comps and uh, fleshing out ideas so that's usually the way my process works uh, regardless as i said of what specific type of project it is so um, at any given time i have different projects at different phases so one might be in the um, I'm work. I just finished a logo design, but I haven't delivered the final files, so I need to set up a style guide and all that here pretty soon. And then another one. Um, actually, I'm supposed to. <laughs> I just realized I'm supposed to have a a call in 30 minutes, but that's okay if I don't make that. <laughs> uh, that's for a, a character design for a company. So oh, very cool. And we haven't even, they've approved the budget. We just haven't started on gathering any information. So I, I'm pretty systematic um, in my book. I kind of go over, that's kind of more the conceptual creative end and then the practical end of how I approach, you know, how I use the tools I use to create what I create. I have pretty specific ways of handling that only because my memory is really horrible. So I like to make things as systematic and as possible because that way in five years, I know where to look for it. Yeah, that's and, great. Um, so it turns mundane things into muscle memory and I don't have to really remember it. I just have to know, well, this is where that information goes within a project file. So yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned, which I'd like to hear a little bit more about is when you start on a project, you're kind of initially letting it gestate. Um, do you find that that gestation process is best when you're away from your desk, like outside and doing other things? Or is it when you're sitting at the desk, staring at the blank sheet of paper or, you know, go for a walk or a drive or a shower? Or yeah, it usually and I kind of discovered this years ago, like I'd say around 2003 or something, I heard Sam Harrison talk at a conference and his book had just come out called Zing. And I, I don't read a whole lot of design books actually, but I was so compelled by his talk about how to think, how to, what, no, kind of, looking inward to see how you work best. And I'd never analyzed that before at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I really did that. And his book was refreshing in that you can read it in about two hours. It's really because one page might have three sentences on it. 
And it's just laid out to make a point. And that's all the book is. And so I cranked through the book. And one of the things in the book said, you know, it was about ideation. It says, look, it might be as simple as you leaving your normal work environment to facilitate that. And, and I was thinking about that and I wasn't sure. And so when I got home, I said, I'm going to try that. And I did discover that if, for me, at least, it's easier for whatever reason to not be in the constraints that my normal work environment is, but leave it, whether it's to go to a cafe or um, as simple as sometimes I'll grab a coffee in the morning and uh, through the drive through and then I'll drive about a mile away from my house to a grocery store and I'll just sit in my car um, listening to the radio and doing thumbnail sketches sitting in my car. <laughs> and I've done that quite a bit actually. And I, I've also discovered there's a lot of weird stuff that goes down in the Safeway parking lot. <laughs> I had no idea about that's a whole nother discussion, but um, yeah, that really helps me to work out ideas, but I developed a talk a couple of years ago for the How Conference called Creatively Recalculating. And in the process of doing that, I really got intrigued with trying to answer that question of why is it so hard to come up with a clever idea? You know, why, why can't you just come up with those things really quick? And in the process of just thinking about that, and I wanted to find out, is there any scientific studies that reveal anything related to that. And I read this article written by this, um, this scientist about uh, brainwaves and the different levels of brainwaves. And you have, uh, you have beta, which is normal consciousness and alpha mm -hmm. and all these, there's like, I, I want to say there's five of them. Well, the one that really hit me was gamma and gamma is the highest level of brain activity so because it's higher than normal consciousness, it's not sustainable in that you can walk around in gamma mode all the time. You just can't. Mm -hmm. But that's the level you have to get to, and that's the level where ideas are formed. Yeah. And so it's hard to come up with clever ideas because it actually takes the kind of focus and attention to reach a higher level of thinking for a period of time where you can make those connections that formulate those ideas that, you know, are conceptually clever or witty or, or solve a problem. And it doesn't matter, not just design, any kind of problem, any kind of creative solution. So that really kind of, I'm going, well, that's it. That's why it's so hard. So maybe for me, leaving my area is all about removing those, those things that facilitate hesitation so that I can think clearly to get to those levels. So I think that's what it all comes down to is how each person can look at how they function best and determine what's going to facilitate that kind of removing those hindrances to allow you to get to that level. That's really cool. You know, maybe from the opposite point of view, you know, all of us hit our designer low points sometimes, whether it's a particular client or a project isn't quite going like you want it to, or, or the inspiration just isn't coming. What do you, what do you do when you're in one of those, uh, funks? Yeah, that I get in that funk a lot. So I would say usually like there's days where I know I have a deadline coming and I know I need to do 
I've kind of done the math. I have this many days until it's due. I need to do this many designs. That means I have to get this much per done per day or else it's not going to happen. Yet I feel like I'm on empty. I'm unmotivated, uninspired. And it feels like my drawing skills, for example, have gone on vacation and nothing I do feels like it's going to work. And Usually what I have to do is like unplug from anything creative whatsoever and just go do something else for a couple hours at least and not think about it. Almost like it's like resetting your yourself and then come back later after you, you've not been thinking about it. And usually that helps me at least start the process and get going, you know, so that can be frustrating though. It's like, you, you know, everybody knows writers have writer writer's block. I think creatives have the same thing. It's just, uh, we'd be classified a little differently. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, whether I need to say it or not, you have some amazing work and just the, such a cool variety of things that you've done for, for some really impressive clients too, from Adobe to Disney to Nike and, uh, even Mr. Peanut and big ass fans. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Big ass fans was kind of fun. Well, well tell me a little bit about that project and what made that one a fun one. Well, when they first, when they first contacted me, there was something in the back of my head. I go, why something about this company is ringing familiar and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized, Oh, you know what? I had watched an American chopper and they did a bike design for the president of the company. <laughs> and I'm going, and so immediately I go, they have money. So I can, <laughs> this is a good client. They can they, afford they, to hire me. This yeah, is great. They can, they can afford a $65,000 custom chopper for nothing more than marketing. I think they can afford a decent identity design budget. So that was nice. Um, that doesn't always happen. So, but as I was talking to them, they, I come to find out when I, I like to, if I don't know a lot about a company, I'll do some research just to really understand who they are and what they're doing. And when I did that, I found that as of, um, I believe it was 2011, they were like in Forbes fastest growing companies in America. And I'm like, Whoa, they didn't even tell me that I'm going, that's, that's pretty good. So I really like the products they're doing. Just the their whole drive and where they wanted to go was basically why they wanted to rebrand. So um, they wanted to move into the consumer marketplace. They they embraced their name and the irreverent nature of it, and they they weren't letting that hinder them. But what was hindering them was kind of their subversive, um, drawn on a napkin looking brand identity. So yeah. uh, we wanted to give the aesthetic that was on par with marks like Nike and Starbucks, but something that would still reflect obviously that name in, in essence, but uh, not be so juvenile and a little more sophisticated. Yeah. It's a very nice piece. Thanks. And of course the whole identity system works really well within the products too. You know, Vaughn, one of the things that I really admire about uh, your work is your seeming ability to have approximately 50 different things going on and between kind of some of your side projects and 
your books and your work with Adobe and lynda.com. And I'm just, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you juggle those things. If it kind of comes in seasons or if you just feel like you're always, you know, spinning lots of plates. Sometimes it feels like I'm spinning lots of plates. I try to dovetail projects. So uh, when one ends, another begins. Um, I'm not always successful in doing that. And that's when it gets a little crazy. Uh, Just to go off a little topic here, this last summer, my daughter graduated from a local design program at the local college. And I've been able to bring her in on a few projects. And she's like, we're doing a project right now for an agency in Chicago and it's for a nonprofit, but um, basically I'm letting her do the whole thing. I'm just art directing her. And I'm like, I was freaking out about this project going, I don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. And then I just said, wait a minute, you know, if I just art directed her, I think she could do it. And she's just been blowing it out of the water. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. This is like really great because I don't have to do anything but art direct, you know? So, so in that respect, it was nice, but usually it, it kind of, like you said, it goes in seasons. There, there's times where there's a lot and then it'll shrink down. And I kind of enjoy that kind of ebb and flow because after being busy for a long time, it's nice to kind of take a breather for a little bit. So mm-hmm. I've always, you know, I used to teach and I like doing that, but it takes a lot of time to teach. And so I kind of gave, uh, resigned from that a couple of years ago. And, and what's replaced it is the component with working with Linda. Now that they've been bought out by LinkedIn, it's um, probably going to be changing names here eventually. And yeah. I, I enjoy creating content for them because I just use it. As, it I use it as an excuse to create artwork for no other reason than to create artwork. And I used to always do that on my own, but it's nice to have something where I can plug it into. So it's actually used for something. So, yeah. Well, speaking of the whole Linda LinkedIn thing, I'm, I know you've expressed some thoughts about just design business and uh, kind of making sure that designers are getting paid for their work and people are being compensated correctly. And I even saw you, musing about perhaps you could figure out how to charge for logos like software guys charge for subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That as much as I like, it's interesting. Adobe is such a huge company. It's like they have so many employees and there's these section of employees that hire me to do something for different divisions for them. And then there's other employees who deal with the development of their software who really get irritated by me because I'm always bringing up bugs and stuff. And um, so it's a love-hate relationship for me. I like doing stuff for Adobe, but their software just drives me nuts at times. And why am I bringing this up? Why am I telling you this story? There is a reason for it. See, my, my, my train of thought will derail at times. Um, <laughs> well, the subscription model. Oh, for, yeah. Uh, so so yeah. the subscription model. Every time I, when I provide files, whether it's for Linda courses or my book, I'll provide resource files. People, I've, I interact with people all the time who just, abs- I know several firms who absolutely refuse to 
upgrade to Creative Cloud because they don't want to pay the subscription fee. So they're still working with CS6. And I think it also goes to show you that just because something's new doesn't mean you really need it. Frankly, I'm yeah. still using CC 2014 because most of my clients aren't using CC 2015, and they just released yeah. an update to that today, actually. When I was thinking about the subscription model, I can't afford not to have a subscription because of certain clients, so I have to pay for it. But um, I was just thinking, you know, why is it that we'll develop create creative things for clients when we give it to them and they can use it to market themselves and make thousands and thousands and millions of dollars. But it's like, it's a one-time sell for us, you know, but right. other companies can sell products and it's, it's written into legally is that we don't really own it. We're just being leased it. And it just made me thought, you know, is that a possibility when it comes to identity? Could you, I still think it might be a viable thing for a big enough company where if you're going to invest this much money in your firm to work out the strategy that they're going to be benefiting on for the next decade, then maybe it is reasonable to expect a, I don't know, a creative licensing fee per month for their, for the life that they use it. I don't know. It's just... I wish we could do that, but right now I don't think I have any clients that would buy into it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think we'll see any major changes in the coming years in the, in the design business on the whole? I kind of do. And I think you're seeing, I've, I've, I've been noticing something in that Adobe has, like just a stink load of apps, like 35 apps, I think, in mm-hmm. the last count. And I'm on their Illustrator beta team, and I'm not revealing anything I'm not supposed to reveal here. This is just <laughs> me speculating based off of pretty much the apps they're developing. I think they're using their app platform to beta test different functionalities and then based off of that input, it'll eventually be integrated into products like Adobe Illustrator. I think you're going to see that kind of vector drawing. You know, they call Illustrator a vector drawing program. It isn't. It's a vector building program. You really can't draw on it the way you can draw on an iPad or a, a, yeah. a Wacom tablet in, um, in vector, that is. So I think they're going to bring those... Uh, functionalities into Illustrator, which I, is kind of nice, but there's so much they need to work out still before they, which I I don't know if they're going to work it out and they're just going to shove it in. We just have to deal with it. That's what I'm afraid of. So, But I, I do think like other industries, like photography, uh, you know, people have had access to cameras now, digital uh, methodologies that have made that industry open source for anybody who wants to spend the money to get a decent SLR or whatever. And, you know, film is another industry, you know, independence now can make a movie where just 10 years ago, it would have been really hard to pull that off. So um, I think design is going to be interrupted to a certain point by that same methodology everybody you know i i just think 
there needs to be other choices. I, it just kind of irritates me that there's just one company that makes the standard for our whole industry. And I really don't understand why Apple hasn't gotten into that game. They, they have to get frustrated at times developing their own creative content using Adobe products. So uh, I've always wondered that. Tell me a little bit about who some of your design heroes are. Are there any designers that you just have really admired in the past or currently that you look up to? Yeah, I really like um, a designer from the past who is still a, a great creative person, in my opinion, is Neville Brody, based out of the UK. Um, he's one of the first designers to really transcend analog to digital, and just everything he did really enamored me to to know that because I, I learned everything traditionally, you know, mm-hmm. piece up boards, border tape, you name it. And so <laughs> moving to digital uh, was really refreshing for me because when I was growing up, um, I used the first Macs that ever came out. I learned how to program on them. I was kind of a geek that way. And, but I liked the creative aspect you could use them for. And uh, so jumping on the computer and realizing how I could uh, use it to do design and illustration was, you know, really kind of opened up the horizons of sorts. And this goes back a couple of years, but I was cleaning out my closet and I found an old portfolio from art school and I had a couple of illustrations in there that I had done in uh, gouache and colored pencil and, and I posted a couple of them on my Facebook account and people are going, you did that? And it, <laughs> because it was all kind of uh, photorealistic looking. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah, why don't you do that anymore? I go, because it's not fun. That's like, <laughs> because it's like, I don't care how photorealistic you get. There's always somebody out there who can do this uber realistic stuff. So I just, I'd rather focus on style and graphic and, you know, distorted proportions and stuff. So, but it's interesting. I had almost forgotten about those pieces. So digital kind of opened up that landscape in terms of exploration, creatively speaking, and um, just all the other aspects about it. I, I, I love, I'm a diehard Mac addict. So I just ordered an iPad pro. Can't wait for that to show up. I just saw one in the store yesterday that they're just huge. Yeah. i I found a great app for the, the iPad called uh, Concepts that I, I, I've actually been using to do exactly what the app's for, is to work out concepts. So if I'm thumbnail sketching, so it, it works great. They now have it available for the iPad Pro. So um, I told the guy I'd beta test it for him just because it's so much fun to use. It's a, it's a great app. Is it something you'll use the pencil or a... Uh, stylus for, or is that a yeah. finger based thing or how's that work? No, I, I never use my finger when I'm drawn on the iPad, you know, that's like drawn <laughs> with the Vienna sausage. Um, <laughs> I, I like using, um, right now all I use is just this little bamboo Wacom stylus. Yeah. That's usually what I use. Um, and that works really good, but yeah, the more there, there's certain, you can actually use some of the vector drawing programs on certain kind of aesthetic projects in terms of style. If you want something that looks really naive looking, 
kind of crude and not super geometrically precise, you can accomplish that with a couple apps on the on the iPad really well. And I there the, actually with the concepts app, I developed a. I had somebody at Linda come to me and said, look, I'm supposed to have two courses out by the end of the year. This other person ghosted on me, and she asked me, if could you do two iPad courses? I'm going, well, I use my iPad, but I don't use it a whole lot for my actual work. It's just for concepting. And Well, I really need an iPad. Uh, I really need a course for Adobe Draw. And I go, I could dive into it and probably figure out what to do. So I, I said, but if you want me to do that, you have to let me do another one on whatever app I want to use. And mm-hmm. she goes, okay. And so I said, okay, I want to do one on this concepts app because I never had the time to sit down with that app and fully explore it. And if they're going to pay me to do a course, I figured, well, then I could learn concepts and really, really utilize it. And when I did that, I was just blown away by how cool the app was. And <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it, and it helped me discover a new kind of style of illustration now. So, um, yeah, I, and that's what motivated me to get the iPad pro because I want to do more of that, that style and look now. So, yeah, that's awesome. So thinking down the road, 10 years from today, what, what do you think you'll be doing 10 years from now? More of the same, or do you think you'll grow into other things or where do you, where do you see yourself? Well, remember how I said the career counselor came back and said, we couldn't find anything on the film industry. (laughs) I I've made some inroads into um, the film industry with a couple people that I've met over the years. Uh, one is a director who owns his own production company down Burbank and a couple independent um, film producers who, uh, one guy right now, he's getting ready to shoot a new film and they need basically like a team T-shirt design for the whole crew. So I just told them, anytime you need anything for your productions, just give me a call. I'll help you out. I'll work with whatever budget you have. Um, just because I, that's, I just want to get my foot in the door. Yeah. And I've managed to do that on a couple, and they're, they're, so far it's been nothing but independent films, where like somebody was doing, um, it was like a, not sci-fi, but it was like a futuristic-based cop show they had already done one season it's on some obscure cable network i've never even watched it yet but he had found some artwork of mine online and just called me and said hey do you mind if i use this for the emblem on the the, this police department's door or whatever and i go yeah i'll let you use that if you let me redesign it for you because that sucks (laughs) And, and he did and so they used it and that had Richard Chamberlain in it. He played the bad guy, I guess, but I never, I've never seen that. So I'm really trying to, I, I've kind of passively pursued that, but I really want to focus on that more. But I'm kind of waiting until my my two daughters are kind of out of school and on their own. I don't want to stir the pot quite yet because I think it might mean I need to move to a location that's going to best facilitate that. Yeah. So what would your um, dream design project be in the film world? Well, it's interesting because within film, their terminology is drastically different in meaning than design. So a production artist in film isn't a guy that 
like we would think of who's taking final art and setting up for printing. Mm-hmm. Um, a production artist in film is somebody who will conceptualize, like if there's a shot and two characters in the shot are at a coffee shop, they would design the branding for that coffee shop and any graphics that would go on the products that are using in that shot. So it's that kind of capacity. So a hobby of mine is if I'm watching things on my, I usually do it on my iPad because I can screen capture whatever I'm watching. If I'm in iTunes, I'm watching it, and I go to screen capture, it'll just black out the screen. They have DRM protection. Yeah. But on an iPad, you can do it without them um, doing anything. So I'll watch whatever shows that I normally watch. And when I see a really corny like production design, I'll capture it. And mm. so I'm always capturing like coffee cups that have really bad logos on them. And so it's like, <laughs> it's about, I think it would be fun to make all the design and whatever production, like as if it was the real world and it was instead of looking Kinko's driven, it would be like, you know, pentagram design this or whatever. So just improving the aesthetic quality of a production's graphics. So years ago, um, I have a friend, uh, John Helms, who I used to work with at a small design firm, and he left and he eventually got a job with uh, LucasArts and he worked there for eight years. And so he was kind of my inside connection to like all the movies that were coming out. And I go, are you working on Star Wars? Yeah. And give me something. I want to know something nobody else knows. And he'd tell me some secret. <laughs> uh, he works at a different com- uh, effects company now, but he hooked me up with this Pixar guy and he was one of the co-producers of the movie Bugs, Bugs Life. Yeah. And he said, here, you need to call this guy and talk to him because I think you should work at Pixar. And I go, why? I don't have any experience to do any of that. They wouldn't be interested. I think they would. And and I contacted him. And then the guy sends me an email and says, well, if you go to the Pixar website, you know, we have job listings. I go, well, that's no tip. Anybody can do that. (laughs) And so I just ignored his email, whatever. You know, that's nice. Um, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from the guy and he goes, I've been waiting to see your application come through the system. I'm like, holy crap, he's waiting for me to do something. I haven't been doing anything. <laughs> so I spent a whole day filling. It's like the, filling out a CIA application. The thing was like 30 pages long, but I filled it all out, got all these, all the information stuff to him, submitted it. And then I got like this. Dear John letter a couple weeks later, like, and I'm going, okay. So I, I've, if somebody ever offered me that position, I would probably close shop and go do it just because I've always wanted to. But um, I do want to pursue that more later. And so more actively, I, as I stated, I kind of do it passively now, but I've always been fascinated by that and would love to do more of that. So if anyone from Pixar is listening, you know how to reach Monster. <laughs> well, just to wrap up here, I wonder if you have any uh, any great pieces of advice you've ever received or a great piece of advice you'd like to share with uh, some of the young designers listening. The best, um, the best advice I received was back in 2003, and it was uh, – 
illustrator, uh, Craig Frazier, told me this. He had a book. I was at an illustration conference, of all things, and he had a book there they had just come out with full of his artwork. He does really cool kind of graphic, conceptual illustrations. And I was going through the book, and I get to something, and I was really familiar with his work, and I get to a piece, and I look at it, and I looked over at him, and I go, who'd you do this one for? Oh, I just did that for the fun of it. And I go, that's cool. Flip them through, and I get to another one, and I didn't recognize it, and I go, Craig, who is this for? And he goes, I just I just did that for myself. And then the third time I did the exact same thing, and I said, who's this for? And he just looks at me and goes, he goes, Vaughn, you get the work you show. I'm showing it because I want to do more of that work. And, yeah. I'm a, and, I was, and that always stuck with me. And man alive, that's proven to be true. It's like if you don't want to do brochures, don't put brochures on your site. If you want to do brand identity, show that. If you want to do certain types of illustrations or styles of illustrations, show that. Even though they call them creative directors, most creative directors look for what they're thinking. They're not, and, and it's not like they'll just call somebody up and say, we need a horse, we need it in this type of style. They'll reference something almost all the mm -hmm. time. And sure. a lot of them don't have the potential to see potential, ironically, which kind of flabbergasts me sometimes. But, okay, one short story because it relates to this, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> I was contacted by a creative director out of all places, Abu Dhabi, and his client was opening up a theme park. And they wanted um, a turtle character for their theme park. And he goes, well, could we hire you to create a, a mascot for this theme park? Could, could we want a turtle? And I go, yeah, that'd be fun. He goes, well, could you send me some examples? So I sent him all these examples of like uh, – an eagle I'd done and a bear and this, all these different characters. And he goes, well, you didn't have any turtles in there. And I go, <laughs> I can do a turtle. It's like whatever <laughs> style you want, I'll do a turtle. At that point, I didn't have any turtles I'd done. And he didn't hire me because I didn't have a turtle. I'm going, really? I go, come on. This is like, I have every other species minus a turtle. I even have a <laughs> reptile. It's like, come on, did just no, who wouldn't hire me because he didn't see a turtle. So, so the moral of the story is when the client asks for a turtle, you show him the turtle. That's right. Well, Vaughn, it's been great talking to you today. I wonder if you could uh, share a few of the places that our audience could connect with you online and learn more about you. Sure. Um, my website uh, for my studio is just glitchkastudios.com. If you forget that, just think of my first name, Vonster. Well, Vaughn, actually. But if you go to vonster.com, it'll take you to the same site. And if you're curious to see my courses offered on Linda, that's just drawingvectorgraphics.com. Very cool. And uh, where could we find some of your books? You will find my books on Amazon. And actually, if anybody would tweet me at Vonster on Twitter, and I don't know, you can tweet me anything, just put free book as the hashtag. Um, I'll pick a winner and they'll get a copy of my new book, Vector Basic Training, the second edition. 
Um, it's available on Amazon, but it's the second edition, not the first one. It's improved. It comes with seven hours of video screencasts. It's full of artwork. It walks you through a methodology, creative process from analog to digital, and it will help you improve your your design building skills, basically. Love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. No problem. Well, hey, it's been great catching up with you and uh, hope you have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, show number five is officially in the books. Thanks so much for joining us today with Von Glitschka. And head on over to ObsessedShow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to The Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend Cassie Joe for providing her song, Matchbox Girl, that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.